This is a special day at Crown Point. This is the first of our public uh, talking about the Imagine campaign. Our text is Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And the sentence finishes, uh, but that gets the picture. More than we can imagine, God's power is not even strained. His, his power goes immeasurably beyond our imagination. Uh, we, we get these needs, and I've done this all my life in, as walking with the Lord, and it seems monumental. And if I just shift my focus and say, you know what, I'll bet you God is not sitting on the throne saying, oh my goodness, look at what is happening to Bill. What am I going to do? I don't think so. I don't think I've ever strained him. <laughs> okay, sermon number one's over. We're going to go to the risk of the steward. Stewardship is the accountable management of resources. Sometimes it's our resources, sometimes it's others. All of it ultimately, of course, belongs to God. So it is indeed uh, management of someone else's. And the story that we pick up is a form of the story that Jesus told all over the country. And it, it took different forms in different neighborhoods. In Matthew 25, uh, he gives us the story like this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Or said in another way, good job, faithful man, woman. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you get it, wicked, lazy sermon. Boy, that's really what I want to hear when I stand before Jesus. So you knew that harvest, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that 
when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. He will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, for your information, the talent was a large sum of money. That was the largest uh, coin uh, normally minted in the, uh, in the Greek world. And so, uh, I want you to know that this is, uh, this, this is money and significant amounts of money. Today, we talk about risk sometime. Uh, if you read uh, business books or listen to business uh, advisors, they'll talk about taking risk. There is, outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico, a peak on top to the top of which you can drive. And it is common for people to go up there with a hang glider and they, they assemble this thing up there and just jump off out into where there's not any ground real close to you. It's way down there. However, they are trusting that the thermal currents that heat up down in the valley are rising and will carry them. And they can fly sometimes a long time uh, rather than just gliding downward. Sometimes they can go back and forth and just ride that current until they get tired and want to go down. Um, another picture of risk is um, annually about 4,000 people take up the high-risk sport of rock climbing. And this is just fingers and toes kind of rock climbing. Some of you have done this. Annually, about 25,000 people have shot the rapids of the Colorado River. That happens every summer. And this rising and falling in the uh, swirling current brings the thrill of being able to uh, beat the odds and tame the river. Uh, those of you who have put money in the stock market, whether directly in stocks or in mutual funds, uh, took a risk. Sometimes it's been profitable more recently, it has, it has been a little bit worrisome, a little bit. And so uh, the commodities market, much greater risk in many cases. Let me just say this. Risk is a reality. Um, starting a business, starting a family, all this is risky. Life is risky. Uh, I think, however, many times we do not get the message that... When we answer the call to follow Jesus Christ, that answer includes with it the willingness to take a risk. This is for the sake of his church, his kingdom. And I, I want to point out that this parable that I read from Matthew 25 is not so much um, to do with talents, sums of money, as with what risks we are able to take for the Lord and his work. All of us have been given certain things. Uh, you could call it, quote, stuff of life, unquote. Think of it like that. That stuff is our, is our time, our gifts, our resources. We all have the same 24 hour per day. And uh, the scripture says that God gives to every believer 
a gift or talent. He has entrusted us with resources, small amounts or large amounts of money. So the parable in reality is about our willingness to take a risk with our time. We call it ours, our talents, we call them ours, our resources, we call it our money for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to point out something to you that the church is often seen as the last entity in the community to be identified with risk. Often, the motto of the church is, come weal or woe, the only status we know is quo. Um, Prominent pastor in the United States hung a banner across uh, in the front of the congregation in his sanctuary, the seven last words of the church, we never did it that way before. Now, if you, if you come to this church on a regular basis, you know that uh, we, we may not be as afraid of change as the church in general is, is reported to, to fear. But I want you to know that risk in every heart, no matter how full of faith you are, no matter how committed you are to not being bound by, we always did it this way, there is still some trepidation at the thought of of change, at the thought of taking this risk. And so the, the challenge before us today in this congregation calls for the decision to take a risk uh, we, we have time, we have talents or gifts, we have treasure. And we will, if the Lord helps us and we choose to take a risk, we will pledge a portion of our future income for the great advance that is before us. So let me sum it up like this. The Lord Jesus Christ calls upon us to take risks for the sake of his kingdom and his church. Now, when I said sum it up, don't, under, don't interpret that as saying in conclusion because I don't say that. That's the conclusion of the introduction. Number one, the risk of participating in what God is doing rather than merely observing. Uh, Let me remind you that the Greek coin talenta was this large sum of money, the largest that they normally minted. And uh, the five-talent servant and the two-talent servant in this story are sort of window dressing for the main character who is the one-talent servant. Let me tell you about this guy. He had less to lose than the other two. He did nothing. He was a typical observer just watching life go. He was the the classic bench warmer. He was a non-participant. I read somebody, I don't know who said this, but I loved it. He was incarcerated in inertia. That might have been one of our black colleagues because they have better way with words than some of the rest of us. Incarcerated in inertia. He was imprisoned in his own special paralysis. There is a story told about uh, a number of generations ago an inland farmer boy had always dreamed of sailing on a tall-masted ship And so when he was about to get grown, he ran away, went to a port city, and uh, 
signed himself up as an apprentice sailor. As they went to sea, about three days later, the captain sent him to uh, the crow's nest on the top of that tall mast. And so he started up there and he got halfway up and he froze. And he froze. There is not some other place to go (laughs) sideways from that perch. And he was too proud to go back down and be humiliated by the ridicule of his fellow sailors. And he was too terrified to go to the top and fulfill the mission the captain had sent him on. This is a picture of the one-talent servant. He froze. Another way to say it in, in street terminology, he freaked out. He just freaked. And when God hands us the stuff of life, that's the mix of our influence, our contacts, our network, our abilities, our money, our time, energy, all of this make up our life. Or said another way, our time, talent, and treasure. When he hands us this, he expects us to humble ourselves before him and get the orders Find out what he wants done. It was obvious in this story that this guy wanted these, these servants to invest this some way and increase it. I don't know that he told them you have to double this while I'm gone. I, I, I think he just knew the guys and gave it to them. So here is the picture. We can so easily do what the one talent guy or the sailor boy, I, I think that's a misnomer. He was the, the guy that wanted to be a sailor. The sailor wannabe, that's the, that's the guy I'm talking about. We can do that same way. And in the next few weeks, we will assess each of us, the stuff of life that God has handed us. We will decide to risk some of it for God's work or do nothing. We can risk participating or we can just observe and uh, uh, let's just see what God's going to do. He didn't speak to my heart. Let's just wait and see what God wants to do. And I don't think, I don't, when, when I say that, none of your faces come to mind, okay? If you're that way, so far you've hidden it well. Thank you for that. But let me tell you that we will face that. Because we, if, if it's a risk, if we're going to give, you know, we talk about uh, not equal gifts but equal sacrifice. Or said the way I love so much, the power of everyone. If every one of us do that, we are almost unstoppable. And in the will of God, we are unstoppable. But when we refuse to risk, it warps our perspective of God. Now this, let me call him riskless servant. By the way, Spellcheck does not like riskless. But I had to speak to it and it likes it now. This riskless servant revealed his twisted perspective. In, in verse 24, we read, the man who received the one talent came, Master, I knew you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. His master was not hard. Did you hear how he responded to these guys that just did the normal work? 
This guy buried the money and took a nap. This, this guy was just, he, he was so twisted. Um, this having a, a warped perspective on God. You see, when the, master, when the master responded to him, he was really saying, you know, I'm going to judge you with how you, the way you say I am. If I'm supposed to be getting all this that I don't deserve, why didn't you give me some of it? You could have, you could have gotten the interest if he'd have gotten 5%, uh, about a little less than 14 and a half years, it would have doubled just a simple compound interest. All he had to do is stick it to the bank. But his master was not hard. Um, Edgar Allan Poe told a story about a, a uh, farm family that pretty much stayed on the farm. And the big event of the year was the arrival of the mail order catalog. And one year they decided to, to, to order a telescope. So when it came, it was daytime. You, you can't see much in the sky and you can't look at the sun and retain your eyesight anyway. Um, so they were looking around and they saw on one of their buildings this hideous monster. And, and they just started sandbagging, you know, they... Close, lock the doors, lock the windows until one of the younger kids in the family pointed out that it was not a hideous monster. It was a praying mantis on the screen of the window through which they were looking. And when they got a different perspective, a praying mantis, as ugly as they are, are, are they taught me in school that they're sort of our friends because they eat other insects. So the perspective can make something seem horrible that is actually good. And if you do not look at God through the eyes of faith, you can rant like the world. If God is so full of love, why would he allow children to suffer? Good question. It's an, it's an uneducated question. I notice I didn't use the word ignorant. P please make note of that in your mind. Because every once in a while, I'm a little bit like the Lord. I'm not as bad as you think, but that's just temporary as a rule. Uh, we need a proper perspective of who God is and how he is so that we can see God as he really is. And so when we look at God and then we look at our time and our, our gifts from God, our talent and our our money, our treasure, when we look at that stuff, we need to be sure that we're looking at it with an eye of faith. Number one, uh, this guy and we have to face the risk of participating in what God is doing rather than merely observing. Number two, the risk of doing something for God rather than doing nothing. Now, Jesus' contemporaries, his, his teaching colleagues in his nation at his time also had parables. Uh, one of the parables was similar to Jesus in that a master, a, a landholder, divided his goods between two servants and took a long journey. One of them took his half and, and tried to increase it 
but lost it. The other one did nothing, so he didn't lose anything. And when the master returned, the risk taker was punished in this parable. And the passive one was promoted to manager. No wonder they said about Jesus, no man ever taught like this man. It, he, he would take their heroes and make villains out of them and take their villains and make heroes out of them. That's a little different. And that's what we're facing in our own hearts. Sometimes we think that to be conservative and to be, and to be sandbagging is the godly, safe way. Well, I want you to know you didn't learn that from God. Because he took a risk. We celebrated the outcome of that risk last Sunday. An incredible story that we who are bound, we who are twisted in little knots or big knots, whatever size, we who are broken or we who are wounded and bleeding have hope for healing, not only in this life, but also eternally because Jesus took the risk and rose from the dead. So, you know, nobody ever taught like Jesus. And uh, incidentally, let me point out to you that Jesus never taught that the kingdom of God is like a man reclining in his lazy boy. That's not a part of Jesus' teaching. Jesus gave twin parables listed in the three synoptic gospels. That's synoptic uh, gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in these gospels, there is a, a pair of parables. Twin parables... Uh, one is about treasure hidden in a field. First place it appears is in Matthew 13 and then also in Mark and Luke. And uh, also about a pearl merchant. Now, these, these guys both took a risk. The um, guy probably was a, an ordinary plowman. He was plowing in somebody else's field. He found this treasure. He went... And hocked or sold everything he had in order to buy this field so he could own the treasure. The, the pearl merchant had spent his life collecting pearls, fine pearls. But at a point, he discovered a pearl that was available that was absolutely perfect. It cost him all his collection. He sold everything and bought that pearl. Now, this is the picture of risk-taking. This is the picture of investing in something that is of greater value than anything we now hold. Uh, On the Brittany coast of France, in the 13th century, there was a Cistercian abbey called, quote, Our Lady of the Risk, unquote. Our Lady of the Risk. Why would an abbey be named that? It was about Mary. Here is a Hebrew teenage girl who is challenged to allow the Holy Spirit to supernaturally make her pregnant. The worst thing that could happen to her is she'd be stoned to death. 
the least thing that would happen to her is that she would be uh, shunned by good society. So she says, not in this lifetime. No, <laughs> what she said. I, I've always, it, as, as I became an adult and started kind of dealing, digging into and just meditating on this picture of Mary, I love her so much. She is incredible in her faith. Now, she has this uh, cousin by marriage who is an, an older person and should be full of faith. And an angel appeared to him. His name was Zacharias. You, you may remember the story. And said, uh, uh, Zacharias, your wife is going to bear you a son. And he didn't believe it. Didn't believe it. I can tell you why I know that. Because he asked for a sign. If it's settled in your heart, it's like, hallelujah. Wait with me and watch with me because we're about to have some fun. And Zacharias says, how can I know this is going to happen? And he shouldn't have asked that, but he did. And so for about a year, he got to be a mute. Now, it was a break for Elizabeth. But... Uh, wasn't a break for Zacharias. So, six months after Elizabeth gets pregnant, the angel appears to Mary. And she says, not, how can I know? She says, how are you going to do that? That's a, that's a scientific question. <laughs> I'm virginal, honey. Um, and that's not going to change. How am I going to have a baby? And the angel said the Holy Spirit is going to create spontaneously this child within you. By the way, God did not have intercourse with Mary or she wouldn't have been a virgin. There's some cults that teach that and it's like, duh. But anyway, uh, cults and, and some of us that think we're really straight really need to watch ourselves. But that's another subject. So Mary says... How am I going to know? So he explained it, and she says, let's go for it. Or, in a generation-old phrase, sign me up. I love it. Don't you love that? She had everything to lose. The angel didn't say, now I'm going to appear to Joseph in a dream, and it's, this is going to soften the blow a lot. And everybody's going to think that he just couldn't contain himself, and he had sex with you before you got married, and so it'll be, the shame won't, it'll be sort of shared and it won't be nearly as badly because Jesus grew up with that shadow over him. This is Joseph's son. And the, of course, we know that the gestation of the firstborn in the family, that period is indefinite. All the rest of them take nine months. But did you get that? You're really quiet this morning. But then we are talking about money, aren't we? So that, that tends to get us very sober. I hope you're as focused as you are quiet. Here's the deal. Mary says, let's just do it. Just do it. Oh, man. When you see her if in heaven, if you go, <laughs> she'll be there. When you see her, love on her a little bit, okay? This is an incredible statement of faith and stance of faith you talk about risk she didn't know god was going to cover her 
She just says, let's do God's will. Let's just do it. Oh, I love this. I love this woman. Our lady of the risk. What a huge risk. Number three. There is the risk of accepting responsibility rather than placing blame. So we come to the final scene of this three-act drama. The risk-takers are rewarded. They're they're set off into uh, good places of responsibility. It's still a job, but it's a better job, and it's it's much more personally rewarding and much more honorable. And uh, the risk-less, there's our word, the risk-less servant is nailed to his irresponsibility. Now, we in our culture are talking a lot today about responsibility slash irresponsibility. And people who pay taxes are saying, I don't want people to get all of my money who don't pay taxes. I work hard, I pay taxes. I don't, where's their responsibility? And that's, that's going around a lot. Well, honey, that's an old theme. These, it has never been a funny thing. And Jesus didn't act like it was a funny thing. Irresponsibility is not funny. And there will be an accounting before God for the way that we live. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. That is going to happen. Now, this riskless servant, I think is a thoroughly modern man. He blames his environment. He blames his emotions. He blames everyone and everything rather than taking responsibility. And that's what we do today. We blame environment. We blame family. We blame education. We blame politics. More recently, we've always done this, but more recently, we really lay the blame on economics. And in the last few years, we've even, it's become fashionable to blame genetics for our irresponsibility. This is an umbrella of fatalism. I can't help it. And that is, we use that to explain everything from violent crime to personal laziness. Somebody say amen. We can always shift the blame it's, it's a masterful trait because we have been working on it as humans since the beginning. Remember the Garden of Eden? Eve says, or Adam says, I love it. Oh, it's a woman's fault. Guys, don't forget that. That's a great line. It's the woman's fault. The woman says, it's the snake's fault. The snake said, it's the tree's fault. Somebody said, it wasn't the apple and the tree that was the problem. It was the pear on the ground. But... You got it. I'm proud of you. Now, let me show you something here. In looking at these responsible servants, there's no no difference in the commendation of the master from the five-talent servant to the two-talent servant. Same thing. Just good job. Get on in here. Because this story makes it very clear that these people were given the amount they could handle according to their abilities. And so if someone else has greater abilities to you than you, guess what's expected of them? Total responsibility and doubling, if you wish, or increasing to the max, whatever God gives them. 
if God gives you pebbles, he's not going to ask you to build a pyramid, okay? But he's going to ask you to do something with that. It is his will. It is not his will that we say, whoa, this is good. God is good. And I'm going to watch for Jesus to come. You better watch for him to come while you're working your little what's it off. Whatever size your what's it is. And we are standing today in the face of this thing. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. Or you'll hear it a lot in the next few weeks. The power of everyone. I love that. I I just want you to know uh, teenagers, and I I guess that's the youngest in our, our, at least the youngest group. There may be a few younger than that individually, but the youngest uh, section of the church that's in this room. Let me tell you that when we ask everyone to begin to participate in missions, our missions giving, which had been plateaued for years, Finally, just started growing, and it continues. And I want you to know that uh, for for the one who takes the responsibility for adding support to missionaries from this congregation, I love that. That's one of my favorite parts of my job here. And I have been getting to do that, and it is wonderful. Because, and it's the power of everyone. And I'm not assuming that everyone gives to missions. But more are, or those who gave are giving more because the money's been going up and the support list is, is getting longer. Praise God. And we, we only want that to continue in the face of this other. We're not talking about something just redirecting the money that you've been giving. We're talking about additional. We're talking about taking a risk here. The power of everyone. And I, when we talk about this, I don't want you to think about, cast, it's like casting yourself into the abyss of blind faith. And you just close your eyes and jump off. No, walking with God is so studied. If it's done properly, it is so orderly. It is so uh, you can see the step. You, you may not be able to see more than one step, but you can see that step. And that's all you can take anyway. Okay, stay with me because this is important. So the power of everyone is that we look at the promises of God. And when someone spoke out earlier in the service in language you did not understand, which was followed by someone speaking in English and it sounded like it might be God speaking to us, that's, it was uh, God and it, these these functions and these phenomena are called gifts of the Spirit, gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And the Holy Spirit, I know that what was said is of the Lord because it's totally scriptural. And it, it was, I was hoping nobody else would interpret it. And please don't take this personally. Because I wanted to say it. Because in this whole service, it has just been eating me up about trusting God, believing his promise. You see, this, dear one, is not about blind faith. Oh, I hope God takes care of me. And we jump off with our hang glider. No, 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 no. Reference was made in that message to God forming more of his son in us. 
And of course, this is talking, and praising God for bad things, this is talking about Romans 8, 28 and many other passages. For we know that the all things work together for good. If you love God and you're called, okay. Called means saved. If you're saved, this works. But you've got to love God in this. If the all things are happening to you and you're fighting and faunching and trying to meet it in your own strength and just muscle this deal with God, it's not going to work together for good for you. You've got to love God in this. And that's praising God for the problems that come. Praising Him. When we come out on the other side, it's not the same. I used to teach, mistakenly, that... You know, we need to grow in the Lord and, and we're going to be made look like Jesus Christ. Now, that part is not mistaken. But my, the mistaken part was you need to take this, you go through this trial, just treat it like a college course. That you got to have that as part of the degree program. So just take the course. And once you get through that, you'll never have to do it again. Now, that last part was wrong. Once you do that, you'll know how to, <laughs> how to pass the test the next time it comes because it'll probably come back. Eunice and I went through a hard time in one of our churches, and uh, we went to another church, and it looked like the same thing was going on. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly the same, but it had some similarities. And I had had some hemorrhages, upper GI hemorrhages, during this period in this other church. And that's pretty freaky for her because she got to be the pastor and, and nursemaid. And so we were going through this thing the second time, and, you know, it's like... Oh, I guess I'm taking, I'm retaking this course. No, I'm really following Jesus. But anyway, she would look at me and she would say, how are you doing? And I mean, she meant, how are you doing? This is not, you know, this is not some affectionate thing. She's a wonderful, loving, incredible woman. But she wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't a part of that deal. She wanted to know, are you making it okay or are you going to bleed again? You know, I mean, it matters, honey. If you get to be a whole bunch of stuff that you don't really want to do, don't feel like maybe you're totally gifted for that, that's not a, you know, it's not funny. And I remember saying to her and thinking, but I would say to her, well, I think I'm doing all right. I, I learned somewhere back to say, I'm doing fine because I said that every time I bled. And I, well, got healed now. Glory to God. Got that stress off my life. Got that spiritual thing done. Praise God, never bleed again. And I did about 15 times more. But anyway, uh, the deal is we know how to do it. And you see, I didn't have to meet God like I did that first time through and do all that forgiveness and work on that stuff. That's, that first time through, I learned a little bit about forgiveness and it serves me to this day. It's so valuable and the second time through, I just, every once in a while, if, if it came to mind, I'd deal with forgiveness. Otherwise, I'm just watching God move. That's not irresponsible, honey. That's not picking up stuff you don't have to carry. You just bear the load that the Lord wants you, because his load is light, and you can carry it, and it will not break you down, nor will it make you bleed. Will not. Hallelujah. And so here we are. We are facing this. We are not jumping off in blind faith. But we are following the one who took the risk and who still has the nail scars. 
in his hands. And he knows about risk. He risked it all and came out glorified by the power of the Holy Spirit. Suffered unspeakable torment, torture, including taking in our sins, including taking in all of our sorrows, including taking in all of our guilt. Some of you, like I, have been have been frustrated and fraught with guilt. Some of it was real, some of it was neurotic. He took both the real and the neurotic and drank it in that garden. And he was the guiltiest person that has ever lived until he died on that cross. He knows what it feels like to feel guilty. Whatever other sorrow you have, he overcame it. He risked it and he overcame death, hell, and the grave. William Borden from the Yale class of 1909, 100 years ago, this next month, was a member of the, the Borden family, the super rich. And uh, he responded to the, the call of John R. Mott, who was preaching the call to take the gospel to the whole world. And Borden, with his degree just obtained, decided to go to India. And it was just, just a shock to everyone. But he raised his support like everyone else rather than just calling on the millions that were available to him. And set sail for India. When he got to Cairo, he went ashore and, and came down with spinal meningitis and was hospitalized there. And in a lonely hospital room in Cairo, he died. A note that he had scribbled in pencil was found after his death and it read no reserve no retreat no regrets may we pray father in the name of Jesus we bring to you our own hearts we need you this day we want your spirit to come upon us and begin to deal with us. Lord, give us a spirit of prayer that instead of trying to figure out how we can afford to give whatever, Lord, help us to be wise enough to ask for guidance from the one who knows us better than we know ourselves and also knows the future. And I bless these people. They are so faithful, Lord. These missionaries come in and we, we pass the hat and they give so generously month after month. When there's a need, we pass the hat, and they give so well. And I thank you for that. And I ask you for them and for myself and my wife that we may all be built up in the faith and guided by you so that we will know what we should do through Jesus Christ in this campaign 
to expand our capabilities to fulfill the mission that you have given us. And I just hold them before you for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Would you look up here at me? The, the thing I want from you, dear one, is to, if you're married, to do this with your spouse. If you're not, do it with the Holy Spirit. Do it with the Holy Spirit in either case. Let God impress you what you should give. If you will do that and take that kind of risk, you will get to watch him work the miracle to do what you couldn't do by yourself and you'll get the blessing of giving. And it is more blessed to give than receive. Now, I remember when I was a broke kid in Bible school, we, we nobody's poorer, I think, than Bible school students. And we would, we would quote that scripture and we'd say, well, but, but, but receiving is all right with me. And that's Bible school. I mean, that's just so, such smart Alex. And if you're in Bible school, please, I know you're not like that, but I was. But honey, I finally got an income and got under the blessing of God with that income and have had money to give. And it is more fun to give than as much fun as it was to receive when you're so broke. More fun. It is more blessed to give than receive. And you'll get that. If you hear from God and are obedient, then you'll get to watch him do the miracle and you'll get the pleasure of giving. So that's what I want to say to you about that. And then to you who are not walking with the Lord, I want to say, the Lord risked this incredible thing. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He did it. He took the risk. He laid it on the line. And that, that's because he loves you. God so loved the world that he gave. If you're not walking with God, this is a great day to take the risk because it's a big risk. You know what it's going to cost you? You're going to have to give up the right to run your life. You say, whoa, I'm not up for that. Uh, then you need to count the cost about what I'm inviting you to do. Because you cannot be successful. The Holy Spirit, when he was speaking earlier in the service, talked about areas of dying to self. And you start that when you come to Jesus Christ. You die to your right to make the decisions for yourself. I want God to run my life. If you'll forgive my sins and come into my life and help me and heal me and clean me up, I'll do what you say. It's kind of, that, that's implied. And if that doesn't get in your face the day you come to Jesus, it will in the next months or years, it'll get right in your face. And so I'm inviting you today to take the risk. I'm inviting you to step out of struggling to do your own thing with no assurance of heaven whatsoever. People who are pseudo-theologians, and they say, oh, all paths lead to God, and they're implying all paths lead to heaven, are just dead wrong in their implication. Because the scripture is explicit, not implicit, explicit that the only way to be right with God and go to heaven eternally is through Jesus Christ. Only way. And Jesus, if you're going to believe him on anything, believe him on that because that's why he came and died. That's the biggie. 
You think he lied about other things? You might be able to swallow that. If he, if he lied about that, we're all dead. Unless we're all just, there's no hell. But anyway, there is.